Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Welcome to the new normal. It's a horrifying message delivered with a smile by your friendly neighborhood public health professional. But don't be fooled, the new normal is abnormal, and the effort to persuade, cajole, and force your compliance has already just begun. So thank you for joining us today for a special live-to-tape edition of RegWatch Live. What does that mean? Well, we're trying to do two things at once, if we can, maybe three, provide some structure around our reg grants that we've done over the last six, seven months, and to get clear sound bites for the short videos that we've been releasing. And on that note, I have Mr. Producer here who's joining us today, and Mr. Producer has been working on a bunch of our videos. You've seen the output uh, really jump up from us, especially the short stuff, and that is uh, due to some producing help which we've not been able to do unless we had the support from you, our viewers and our supporters from the industry. So obviously, because we pay the people that work with us. And uh, you've seen it too as well with our Whole Truth episodes. Uh, that's another producer that's worked with us too as well. And we're gonna leave the identities here right now, you know, in the closet, but sooner or later, it'll all come out, I'm sure. So for today, what we're doing is, it, it, we're trying to structure this as if we're live taping a show. So it's not really a show for a live linear kind of a broadcast. We didn't do it that way. So we're going to see if this works. But basically, I want to be able to just kind of freely stop, uh, you know, announcing and basically concentrate on grabbing something if I think that we need to talk about it and, and then just talk about it. If it's three minutes, it's fine. So instead of trying to sometimes what happens is, especially when you're riffing, is you end up kind of trying to hold along the conversation because you're trying to do the linear broadcast for everybody out there when really sometimes I should just stop and think. And if that's for two minutes to find a clip or something like that, uh, because we're just rolling, you guys are seeing the live in the studio and basically we're building a bunch of short videos here. That's the idea. So the long video that we do today is going to get chopped up into a whole bunch of small, you know, maybe three or four small pieces. And so over the course of the time that we're live with you, we're rolling and we're gonna make sure that we get all the different you know, parts and pieces and arguments and stuff for what we want to cover today. So, you know, we hope it's a bit of a interesting experience. Uh, it may look, might look quite similar to the rant or it might not. So, but we do hope that it's a bit of a mind bending discussion on critical topics. See, and you'll see me stop and redo for, for that. But we do hope it's a bit of a mind-bending discussion on critical topics. Let's take a look at what those are. And let's take a look at what those are. So COVID chaos, day three of the rest of your life. That is today, May third 2020 why the third day of the rest of your life well of course because as we all know uh lockdowns are supposed to end on may 1st that was the new normal was starting on may 1st and then of course the left they just keep dragging this out two weeks more two weeks more god help you if you live in a state with a governor or a premier that is dragging this lockdown out god help you because they aren't going to help you
COVID chaos, day three of the rest of your life, May 3rd, 2020. Today's themes that we're going to talk about is why vaping saves lives and lockdowns save lives are incompatible. These are incompatible positions to hold, and we're going to explain why. When virtue becomes power. And we're going to pull some Nietzsche out, folks. There'll be some Nietzsche discussed here. Why we are not all in this together. Why are we not all in this together? Dear God, again, please. And I'm not even sure I believe in God. I didn't some form of deity, I'm sure. But look, here's, here's the deal. We are not all in this together. Simply not. Oh, this is going to be the macros. All right. Why we're not all in this together. When totalism takes over science, this is going to be really interesting. This is going to connect with the conversations that we've had over the course of seven months or so regarding ideology. Because ideology, when it becomes dominant and hegemic, it becomes total. And that's totalism. And that's where totalitarian comes from. And what we're seeing right now is in science, when totalism takes over science. It's not good, my friends, but it definitely explains what is going on. And I guess I can't just go back. Look at that. All right, well, let's catch the last one. So when totalism takes over science. And then the last major theme for today is why envy and resentment destroy why envy and dissentment or why envy why envy and resentment destroy now i'm pulling out a secret weapon uh with this one it's a book from 1966 called envy that nobody knows about and it's going to describe in horrifying detail how human beings react with envy how important envy is to the makeup of a society and how it's a fundamental fear. How is envy a fear? We're going to talk about that. So first off, first off I want to talk about the new normal. And the new normal is abnormal. And remember, if you're old enough to remember this, the left, the progressive left, hates normal. How many movies have you seen where the normal has been derided, ridiculed, mocked, made to be sinister, made to be evil. That's what normal is to the left. So when the left is in charge of creating the new normal, oh boy, <laughs> that's the real fear about the road we're going down. So we're gonna read here from a, new, uh, it's from a National Post article I think it's written from a post writer. So this is Canadian and it is definitely is. It's not from uh, Reuters or Washington Post where our national conservative newspaper here in Canada gets all of their Trump news and US news from the Washington Post. Might as well just poke a needle in your eye. It's brute. So let's take a look at this tar 
So let's take a look at this article. It's after the COVID-19 crisis ends. What does our new normal look like? And this is the National Post, the subheadline. There are several possible scenarios as our world tumbles through this pandemic. And I'll take, I'll take exception immediately with this. The concept of tumbling through a pandemic, it's only a pandemic because the World Health Organization decided to label uh, their forecast to be a pandemic, and the reality is anything but. So uh, the hysteria is infectious, there's no doubt. Uh, the fear, you know, is an epidemic, I guess. I think a few people are probably uh, have gotten some antibodies towards the hysteria, the fear over coronavirus, but we'll talk about that. So here we are, new normal. So th this article is written on behalf of and with the cooperation and sound bites of futurists. And if you don't know what a futurist is, it is somebody with no life that spends their time uh, forecasting the future in artful, creative ways that are always left, always progressive left. From the day, from the very, from the person who created the genre, H.G. Wells, totally progressive and futurist. The virus that has spread like a fever also scorched his keynote gigs, gone at least until the end of the year. Roughly 95% of his income lost. Quote, we all have to reinvent ourselves, Dan Loth, author and Balt blogger says with surprising calm after losing 100% nearly of his income. If it's 95, this might as well be 100. The question now is, how are we going to reinvent ourselves as a human species? I'm shaking. That makes me so fucking mad. The question now is, how are we going to reinvent ourselves as a human species? Allow me to direct you to that. This is the reporter's line. This is the reporter's line, not the futurist line. Uh, is this an op-ed? No. It's not opinion? No. This is a National Post reporter for Canada's conservative daily newspaper. Posing the question now is, how are we going to reinvent ourselves as a human species? So when I talk about better man and the left is trying to socially engineer you into a better man, it's what they've been doing for hundreds of years. It's why 100 million are dead in the 20th century. That's why 60 million, according to the UN, 10 days ago, 60 million children in this world in the next 12 months are going to die because of poverty, because of the coronavirus hysteria and the reaction. And the National Post Reporters saying, well, the only question now is, is how are we going to reinvent ourselves as a human species? People who think this way are poison. They are toxic to the rest of us. They are out to get us. Clearly, because you can't reinvent something unless you want to liquidate, eradicate what is there before. a reinvention of the human species. I, I don't think I'm ever going to need, I, I think I'm going to calm down and, and try to, for the rest of my life, 
never have to argue too hard about what these malevolent people are trying to do and what their plan is with coronavirus. I mean, their plan is to reinvent the human species. I was told to smile a little bit more today. So um, let me just say that they are malevolent and corrupt. And those that want to reinvent the human species, well, they're out to get you. Quote, we will not go back to what life was like before January of this year. Canada's chief public health officer, Teresa Tam, said this week in releasing updated COVID-19 prognostications. Let me read her again. This is Teresa Tam, Canada's public health officer. This is the person, this is our David Fau or Fauci, excuse me, our Anthony Fauci. We will not go back to what life was like before January of this year. Who elected this person to decide that we will not go back to what life was like before in January of this year? I don't recall casting a ballot for Theresa Tam. Do you? Did anybody uh, cast a ballot in the U.S. for Fauci or BRICS? No. Who elected these public health people to make these decisions? We didn't. There's no way. No way. I, I think that they should have, be a little more circumspect about what the future might hold because futures are unknown. And it takes the, the, the spontaneous uh, uh, coordination of billions of individual actions across quadrillion decisions made every day by human beings as individuals working together in co cooperation in society that creates the future. It is not a small handful of people in public health that decide what the future is going to be. But yet, that is exactly what we live under now, is a tyranny of public health. And we all know RegWatch, we have a ton of respect for public health. That's what we cover. And indeed, we cover mostly the science. You know, scientists come on our show, and they're ones that see public health in a little bit of a different light. And they work in public health, they're high in public health. So we know that there is a schism within public health, and this side of public health is tyrannical. Who elected Teresa Tam to say, we will not go back to what life was like before January? So our federal health minister also summoned our post-pandemic future in a briefing, saying testing is just one layer of the health safety net needed to arrive at the new normal to arrive at the new normal that's so progressive it's just brutal but there's more progressive so i'll just keep going canada's health leaders didn't elaborate on what this quote new normal quote might look like increased biometric surveillance one-way sidewalks medical grade face shields at the theater virus proof sterilized body suits to permit quote socializing without distancing quote Robot cleaners and servers, immunity booster consultants, cashless societies, no swabs, and temperature readings at every travel gate. This, 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 is, just, this is just funny. Virus-proof sterilized bodysuits to permit socializing without distancing. So if you can just imagine what that is, they're describing... 
two people in hazmat suits with window flaps opening so your parts can. The left wants to be in control of absolutely everything in your life. If you haven't figured that out yet, literally, if, if the lockdown, the shutdown, and the total destruction of your civil liberties has not yet rung into your brain that they want to control everything, well, you're a lost cause, and likely you are the problem, no doubt. Smiley face fascism, that's what you are. Oh, clappy, clap, 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 clap. You're mentally ill if you think that way. How optimistic or pessimistic shall we be? Well, there's somebody here from a no play, nobody place. Oh, Munich, oh God, that's not wrong place to get our future. There's a, so here we go. This is a philosophy of mine from Ludwig Maximilian University. Wrote, there's a spectrum of possible post-coronavirus futures. No straight line from here to there. The new normal depends on several unknowns. While the pandemic curve is flattening in parts of the country, we still don't know if we're at the front end of the wave, the early days of the wave that will pass over us, or the beginning of a multi-wave pandemic where each crest, each roller grows smaller, like the tra trajectory of a bouncing ball. The virus will keep churning through the population, keep, quote, trying to find humans to do what it does, close quote. Infectious disease epidemiologist Michael Olstrom said in a recent interview, until we reach 60 to 70% uh, herd immunity. Wow, yeah. Many people don't grasp that this isn't over, despite the, quote, happy talk, close quote. Osterholm says, we don't emerge from lockdown suddenly immune. The vast majority of us remain susceptible. The other big unknown, will the pandemic virus eventually burn itself out or become part of the annual seasonal soup of respiratory infections? Either way, futurists have begun to imagine the post-coronavirus era. Quote, the world as we know it is dissolving, close quote. Influential German futurist Matthias Horks wrote on his blog in early March, quote, but behind it comes a new world, the formation of which we can at least imagine, close quote. He, is a more sanguine, he has a more sanguine view. He, <clears throat> he imagined... <clears throat> He imagines our world in autumn. Cynicism is out. Physical separation has made us closer. <laughs> Fuck. It's, a, it, it's, it's just, I have to say it's beyond belief, the capacity of the progressive left to manipulate language, to say one thing but mean the exact opposite. And, and to not even be that binary, sometimes it's layers upon layers upon layers of bullshit and misunderstanding that the left has knitted with inside narratives and use of words and phrases. And I mean, it's hard to believe that there is an actual common sense understanding of language and definitions anymore. I mean, all of language has been polluted. And this is a side note, just so you know, that the left progressive left believes that language is so racist structurally so biased that it's not even the words that are the problem, it's grammar itself. The grammar is biased, both structurally, ugh, 
I mean, so yeah, it's a postmodern thing. So that's why they don't teach grammar at school anymore. And they haven't done it for at least uh, 20, 30 years, 20 years for sure, since the 90s, no doubt. Grammar is racist. That's what they think. All right. So this guy, he, is more he has a more sanguine view. He imagines our world in autumn. Cynicism, cynicism is out. Physical separation has made us closer. So much seems so unnecessary and superfluous. Can anyone remember the political correctness debate? The infinite number of cultural wars? What we will ask ourselves, what, what will we ask ourselves, was that all about? And so this is a bit sticky, but let me try to get into this here. So what, what this writer is saying is that our future, and again, this is a, such a typical thing to do. What they're trying to do is they're trying to, trying to say, oh, all of that division that we created, because we're the left, right? We're the left, we create division, we create chaos, that's what we do. So all go along a bunch of the ways, you know, we're, we're the race baiters because we're the racists. Yes, the left is the, are the racists. You know, we're the murderers, we're, you know, we're the ones that are malevolent and uh, are trying to destroy the earth. Um, and so a lot of that comes from what is called a postmodern perspective. It is a denial of truth. You don't believe there is such thing as a truth. And once you're there, well, so much can happen. There's a, a relative, you know, you've got a relative understanding of culture, meaning there really is no right and wrong. Uh, and if a particular culture believes that something is an appropriate action, you know, we as the West don't have any reason to be able to counter that or to say different or try to impose our morals and views on them. Instead, what happens then is all of our morals and values gets destroyed uh, and and that's postmodernism. I mean, it, it really is the destruction of society. So it is the, the postmodern left that have, has created, well, political correctness is a progressive left thing. And it's not from the right, that's from the left. Uh, political correctness is just, you can just use communism, actually. Uh, it, people who try to get fancy with, you know, political correctness in terms of a definition, when they're, when they're doing that, they're again, you know, participating in practicing of a misunderstanding. They're they're confusing on purpose the term, or trying to make it seem a little bit less sinister, which is part of the confusion. But political correctness is just pure communism. That's exactly what it is. Anybody who ever lived in communism will tell you political correctness is fundamental mechanism that was used in communism, still is today in China. So there should be no uh, surprise here, this is a communist way of thinking, and it's a communist technique in order to gain control. Allow me to say this about communism, folks. I'd like everybody to remember this one thing. Socialism was invented by white people, all right? Uh, all of Europe was white. Marx and Engels are white. Lenin was white, Stalin was white. I mean, the whole ball of wax, this is a white on white thing. If you don't think it is, well, you're wrong, because it is. This, is. this isn't a white invention. This isn't a foreign thing. This came out of the bones uh, of us from Europe, this communist way of thinking. Why do I bring this up? Because it's very important. Because people here in the West have lost touch with the traits of communism. 
the, you know, so many don't know at all any of it because they just, you know, they were born much later than I was. And by that time, you know, history was wiped. I mean, there was nothing taught in school about communism in the way, for instance, that's taught about Nazism. Now, Nazism, there you go. That gets taught a lot. And there's a reason why. It's because there's a narrative they're pushing there. And in a way, it's to obscure communism's total lethality. Communism is wicked. And so when you, when you look, you know, in the mirror, and if you're white, you're looking at a communist. It's important to know that. It's not some foreign race. It's you. That's the potential to be a communist. That, is, that should go somewhere in a soundbite. So now you're seeing that was completely unplanned. And I think, did, Mr. Producer, did I, we get that clearly for an in and an out? Would that stand? Ah, the Nazi narrative. I, it's a, Mr. Producer, that is fantastic. I'm going to stay away from the Nazi narrative at the moment. But sooner or later, we, we will be getting into racial hygiene, medicine under the Nazis. Racial hygiene, medicine under the Nazis. Open this up and you'll start hearing today's public health propaganda. How's that? Uh. <laughs> okay, so I don't know. Um, so, I'm, Mr. Producer, I'm going to pick up here on the um, futurist thing. I'm going to try to find a way because it's a bit of a long article. So let me just see here what else is a, is a must to do on it. Right. So let me just make this last point again here because we'll, we can edit that into different areas to be back and forth on this. Right. So the critical thing that's happening here. So the infinite number of cultural, cultural wars uh, and. Okay. Yeah. This, I'm hearing this now a lot. We're hearing it in this piece about how the new normal potentially is going to create an environment where people are not going to be fighting over woke anymore. Dave Rubin on Ben Shapiro's Sunday show last week made me want to puke as he was spilling out what is still the progressive line that is sadly in Mr. Dave Rubin's head which was talking about how we're all reinventing ourselves uh, with coronavirus and how that's a good thing that the lockdown and shutdown is forced, not forcing, using this as an opportunity to reinvent ourselves is what Mr. Dave Rubin was saying on the Ben Shapiro show, not a conservative or right point of view, a progressive point of view if there ever was one. If you're listening to Dave, Dave Rubin, you, you got to put your radar on because he's not uh, talking about the right things. He's discussing right now about how th there's going to be less woke conversations in uh, our, our discourse. There'll be less, there'll be less. So he's, so Dave Rubin is saying that there is going to be less wokeness in our culture. So as a point of, you know, you know, bashing it away, a point of derision, enmity, all of that stuff, uh, use of, use of, the use of wokeness as a leverage, as a battering ram, as a 
as blackmail, as force, I mean, uh, to destroy. I mean, wokeness, again, that is also communism. I mean, you know, politically correctness is communism. Wokeness is communism. And uh, so the use of wokeness, I mean, it is, it, is, it, is a, it is a mechanism to destroy. There is nothing about woke, wokeism that is about creating. There's no lifting up. The people who believe that they're victims are, 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 are perennially fried. The, the ability to get them out of that victimhood mentality, I, it's got to be near impossible with the amount of conditioning that they've received and continue to receive and, you know, rewards and encouragements that people receive for being oppressed and the victim. So Dave Rubin is saying that we're going to have less uh, wokeism out there, partly because people are bettering themselves and partly because people are looking forward. And I guess his argument is that we're going to work together more or something, or maybe the last part of that is he's thinking that maybe wokeism might be taking a hit because so many people are going to be worrying about the basics in life because this catastrophe, which we, we have zero understanding about how big this is. And I will be happy if I'm wrong. I will tell you right now, this is day three on the rest of your life, on day three of the rest of all of our lives in the post-lockdown uh, portion of the pandemic. So it's all ahead of us. I'll be really happy if I'm completely wrong, but there is, there's no way that this isn't going to be a bigger catastrophe than it is, or, you know, than the for future people are saying that our public health people are predicting or that our politicians are saying is going to happen. So there's no way woke is going away. Are you kidding? Woke, woke is the thing that is going to be used to get Trump. Okay, so I'm going to hold there for a sec, uh, Mr. Producer. Mr. Producer? Um, did you hear that? Yeah. Oh, God. So this same guy here. I'm going to just have to do this and it'll be as long as it is. The <laughs> okay. Cynicism is out. Physical separation has made us closer. So much seems so unnecessary and superfluous. Can anyone remember the political correctness debate? The infinite number of cultural wars? What, we will ask ourselves, was that all about? <laughs> The summer will have brought new antivirals and drugs to keep COVID-19 from killing. The global economy is recovering. The heart muscle quivered, but didn't stop. Quote, as if the economy was a breathing being that can also nap or sleep and even dream. Close quote. CO2 emissions are down. Backyard vegetable gardens await harvest. We'll be running through forests and parks. Virologists and epidemiologists will be the new celebrities. No apocalypse, only a new beginning. Could it really be so dreamy? When looking at future possibilities, futurists arrive at a range of scenarios. 
Under one scenario, the virus spreads. Most everyone is exposed over the next year. As social distancing restrictions are lifted, new infections erupt like brush fires that spread faster than they can be stamped out. We don't flatten the curve, we just shift the infection peak. Tens of thousands of people tragically die in Canada alone, leaving a tsunami of grief. Many more recover. However, the world doesn't change that much, as economist and futurist Robin Hansen of George Mason University. Quote, the world has a lot of inertia, close quote, says Hansen, who, to the horror of critics, has advocated controlled exposure. The voluntary infection of relatively, relatively young and healthy people with a very low dose of virus to build protective herd immunity until a vaccine is realized. So, yeah, he makes, you know, but he's derided, deep in the piece and derided. Oh, my God. All right. And just see here what else we got. The other extreme is we lock down the lockdown. The changes become permanent until someone wins the billion-dollar sprint for a vaccine. The cost is mass unemployment, loss of school, economic hardship, pain, shattered marriages, a crisis as big as the Great Depression. We desperately keep trying to keep the virus at bay, dragging distancing out for year or years. An enormous new policy regime of testing and tracing. A North Korean-style surveillance state. Man. And that is what is being advocated. Um, the future is still foggy, but likely somewhere between a fast burn and permanent lockdown, with rolling stay-at-home orders and household quarantines. Pull back on social distancing, turn the economy back on, and then clamp down again if infections start to percolate. And repeat until physical distancing is no, no longer becomes necessary. I'm going to read that again. The future is still foggy, but likely somewhere between a fast burn and permanent lockdown with rolling stay-at-home orders and household quarantines. Pull back on social distancing, turn the economy back on, and clamp down again if infections start to percolate and repeat until physical distancing no longer becomes necessary. That is a, the sound of a washing machine cycle <laughs> mixed in with a roller coaster, uh, tossed in with a rattlesnake uh, and a leftist. And uh, that's what they want your life to be like. Don't kid yourself, at least till the election, at least till the presidential election. All right, I'm not too certain yet how, how that's going to clean up. There'll be a, a, a close on that. Let me see what else is needed. Oh, God, listen to this language. Let I remind you, this is a homepage of the National Post. Airlines will reserve flights according to high or low risk. So you will have a viral risk assessment done that will be attached to you, your body, to your, to your record, uh, your viral status, and uh, certain things will be allowed and certain things won't. And your, your mobility, your ability to work, definitely travel, is going to be, um, well, restricted based on your coronavirus status. But we're all in this together. 
Okay. Masks will become a wardrobe staple. Ugh. Okay, last one. Are we moving to a world where every contact, if we can call it that, will have to be scheduled on Zoom or managed in a non-spontaneous way, keeping distance and observing rules and checking that others observe them too? D-Roy asks, this we may recover from. She said, we may become more familiar with the new rules. Okay, look, this whole thing here. So their idea of a future is, you know, a totalitarian state. One that's based on complete fear and, uh, and control by central authorities under the rubric, you know, under the rubric of public health. Yeah. Okay, one sec. Better follow the plan. Yeah. Okay. So I'm missing it in my note. Um, I'm not, I'm working this stuff out. This stuff is, I'm, this is now the offbeat part here where I'm, where I'm going to try to work some stuff out. If I don't get it right away, I'm not going to worry about it, but. So we've talked about fear in uh, some of our episodes and how it's manufactured. And fear, you know, literally is something that gets manufactured. And so it's often just called propaganda, right? But it's hysteria. Hysteria is manufactured fear. That's what I want to get at. Hysteria is manufactured fear. Nothing more. There's very few... Uh, there's very, very few hysterias that I've seen being pure naturally done. Not, not globally. I mean, a fear of this magnitude that has brought down the entire Western civilization that has 1 billion people uh, under lock and key in their homes. I mean, really, seriously? Can you name another hysteria? No, you can't. Hysteria is manufactured fear. And it's manufactured by those in, in power. And clearly... Public health as a part of the progressive left are in power. They are the ones driving the bus. It's certainly not the politicians, and it's certainly not the citizens. But where do they get that power? Who gave them that? Well, obviously, they take power from the herd. The herd, you know, is energy uh, for the progressive left. Who are the herd? The herd are those who believe lockdowns save lives. Okay. 
Okay. Mr. Producer, I'm going to go to, I'm going to jump to um, Vaping Saves Lives uh, and... Have a vape. Okay, guys, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take a look here while I have a vape, and just take a look here. I'm at uh, I'm looking at YouTube. Now there's a bit of a delay, so I'm taking a look at YouTube. I'll take a look at uh, Facebook in a second here. Okay, the fact that this is happening, people are arguing that it's a flu is irrelevant. This is David R. I totally agree with that. <laughs> the wrench reviews a Democrat, a Republican, and a seagull fighting over a dead fish. David R., we are being lied to about this for sure, but to say that the virus is not real is not going to change anything. Yeah, sure. Did somebody say that the virus isn't real, uh, David R.? In the, maybe somebody in the chat? Certainly nobody on RegWatch would ever say that the virus isn't real. Of course the virus is real. I mean, that's awesome that the virus is real. If I was, on, if I was their side, I want it real too. You know, In fact, I would do, make damn sure that it is real. Because, you know, they're taking over, uh, they're crashing the Western system, right? They are crashing the Western system. That's what they're doing. Crashing the Western system. And uh, the more real the virus, the better. Obviously, the more lethal the virus, not the better, because they can't let it spin out of control. This is the perfect virus for them. Comes from the big bad evil enemy China, and who they are able to actually coordinate with, because <laughs> they do, and uh, and then of course you know it's really not as bad as they say it was, or is, so it allows to mean it means that you know it doesn't actually wipe out you know millions and millions of people. So it's done. The only damage that the coronavirus has done has been because of the government response, because of public health response. To think any otherwise just defies logic. For one, there was no opportunity to respond in any other way. So just the sheer fact that we were not allowed to respond in any other way. Take no other mitigation that didn't go as far as they went between March 12th to March 16th, totalitarian lockdown. Within days across all of the Western world, you're driving on a highway and there's a frickin' sign on the side of the road flashing, wash your hands, stay at home, you peon, right? Still out there right now. Where do those, all those come from? Tens and tens and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, because you know they're in Europe too as well, all with the same messages. COVID-19, wash your hands, Stay at home. Yep. And dissenting voices 
are drowned out in the silence. Okay. All right. Okay, YouTube, Facebook, one sec. That was YouTube, Facebook. The herd is sheeple, Larry Mead, yeah. Duh, Anthony Mario, oh yeah, it doesn't seem to be saving anyone from anything. That is kind of quite true. Yeah, I agree with Larry that the numbers are, are, are not true. Larry Mead, they gave us no choice and they decided to wipe away all of our freedoms in one sweep under the guise of the pandemic. And you could not be more right, my friend. So we'll come back. I know there's we don't have a lot of viewers here, but you know what? We're going to do the best we can here on Sunday. And anyhow, the whole point about this is we chop it down into another video. So for those of you that are with us, thank you so much. Okay, so just one sec. I'm going to have a vape. One sec. Okay. Could have done that on camera. I was just being cheeky. All right. I have no idea, guys, how I'm going to be able to get this uh, particular one. So let's see if I can. <sighs> Sometimes it just seems a lot easier to do these when you are imbibing on nature's green earth. Uh, just one sec. Uh, sure enough, I put it somewhere else. Okay. This is hard stuff to work out here. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Why vaping saves lives and lockdowns save lives are incompatible. They really are incompatible. So the herd believes that lockdowns save lives. It's, that's the top level 
I mean, beside it is our, we are all in this together. These are, are two, they're at the same level, these kind of mechanisms that are happening to condition the herd uh, into following along with public health in the whole safetyism. And so th these are parallel. So we are all in this together and lockdowns save lives. So that's the herd. They are the ones destroying the world. Now, we have this other issue in vaping where vaping saves lives. It's the exact same mantra. And lockdown save lives didn't come from vapors. That came from the larger milieu of herd thinking. May have, may have come from media, may have come from public health, because these, these lines certainly are worked. We're all in this together had to be worked. That had to be worked. Because of course, public health is gonna have all of its messaging. There's gonna be tens of millions of dollars on building the messaging uh, that needs to go with such a totalitarian effort. So vaping saves lives. We know what that's about. Let's talk about what that is. That's about harm reduction. That's about tobacco harm reduction. Vaping saves lives is the mantra that every single vapor has. And of course, it makes sense because that, that's it. That's the argument. Tobacco kills, smoking kills, and consumers, smokers created vaping products, the entire category, turned it into 40 million vapors around the world, billions and billions of dollars in sales each year, and successfully getting people off smoking. But public health, when you say vaping saves lives, they could just go, because they don't care. They clearly don't care. You look at the result, and then work your way back, for the reason why. And so clearly the reason why is because they really just simply don't care. Public health doesn't care about the half a million Americans that are gonna die each year due to smoking or the 250,000 Canadians that are gonna die each year because of smoking. They simply don't care. But vaping saves lives. <laughs> so if you believe that vaping saves lives, you know who the enemy of vaping is. It's public health. Now, not the public health people that come on our show. I mean, obviously, clearly. But it is the public health people that refuse to acknowledge that vaping is a safer alternative to smoking and that it is a tool for harm reduction. These people, the Stanton Glances, the people at the CDC and FDA, the uh, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, all the anti-vaping you know, anti activists, all the researchers, all the foot soldiers at frontline public health in every city and village and state and province and nation across the world. WHO, public health, they're totally against vaping as a tool for harm reduction. So what does that actually mean? That means public health is saying you do not have the right to make the decision about what goes in your own body. Now, you can choose all you want to smoke cancer sticks that we sell you and receive billions and billions on. You can choose that. But if you wanna choose this other thing as a tool of harm reduction, you can't do that. You're evil. Kids are getting hooked on nicotine because of you. If you only could have just stopped smoking, if only you had had the courage and the, and the wherewithal, you disgust me. 
evapor. That's what public health is thinking, the public health part that refuses to see vaping as a tool for harm reduction, refuses to let you as an individual make the choice about how to mitigate harm. The government's selling you a cancer stick, but they won't let you pick a vape. Hmm. So it sounds like a liberty argument, and it, it is, right? But we know progressive lefts don't care about liberty, and there's a whole bunch of vapors that are progressives too. We love you, but you don't really value liberty much, unfortunately. So to figure out how to uh, kind of move this argument forward, vapors who don't necessarily believe in liberty too much, they really got to see at least, though, that vaping saves lives is inherently dependent on your ability as an individual to control what you put in your own body. In order to reduce the harm that the government legally sells you, that public health enables, that public health has yet to actually do anything to eradicate. It seems that, you know, their little battle with tobacco will go about to about 5%. And I think that they'll leave about 5% smokers on the planet because they need the structural smoking in order to fund, uh, you know, the stuff that smoking funds, right? They're never going to get rid of smoking. That's not going to happen. And who says that in the future, this new grand little future that they're creating won't have some new special drug thing that gets invented that, you know, is worse than smoking, but people love. You know, we've all seen the dystopian futures. I mean, that's the goal of the left is that they think that they're going to be able to control what this future is when they completely destroy the Western system and try to create this new normal. There's nothing that the left has ever done that succeeded. The only time the left succeeds is when it's destroying and murdering. That's when the progressive left succeeds is in destruction, never building, never building. They have no idea what the future looks like. None. They've got no concept of unintended consequences. I mean, that's a definition value to applaud. Does the person believe in unintended consequences? Well, what does that mean? Rationally thinking through decisions, looking at multiple different options in terms of where things could go, and then making a decision to mitigate risk and reduce harm. That literally, those words, I thought those were vaping words. No, those aren't vaping words. Those are the words in which human beings apply, you know, rationality and logic to the uh, myriad of options that are presented to us in the future that you really have no control over and, and we try to mitigate risk and harm. That's what we do. And the left refuses to do that. Progressive leftists, the left refuses to do that. Progressives refuse to weigh the options, weigh the alternatives to action, then use logic, common sense, to then chart a path that reduces risk and limits harm. They refuse to do that. Clearly, they pulled the pin on Western civilization without even a single thought on the economic consequences, what the, what the consequences would be, on people's health as a result of 27 million people in the United States being un unemployed, 1.5 million in Canada, and you know around the world, we're talking hundreds of millions of people 
so they clearly don't think through uh, that those consequences or the ugly truth is that they do. There's really only two options for them. Either they were completely oblivious to this catastrophe that is unfolding as a result of the response to the coronavirus, or they know what this catastrophe is going to look like. There's only two options, and they're both bleak. But if you're asking yourself, how do I talk about this issue with people that are conditioned? Or if you happen to be conditioned yourself and you're hearing this, you have to think about that. Only two options uh, with regard to the people who made this decision, there's only two options. Either they were completely oblivious to the impact or they weren't. So, vaping saves lives. The fundamental thing is that you have to have control over what you put in your body. Government cannot be involved in that at all. It's about reducing risk and harm to yourself. Lockdowns save lives is completely opposite of that. Lockdowns save lives are based on, first of all, you have no say. If you agree or disagree with the lockdown save lives, it doesn't matter. You don't matter. You as the individual do not matter. It does not matter whether or not you agree with lockdowns and shutdown or you don't agree with lockdowns and shutdown. Public health has instituted lockdowns and shutdowns, and that's it. You're down. And all of the impact that that has in your health, mental well-being, economics, family, I mean, seriously, it's terror that has been dropped on you it was smiley-faced fascism from public health because we're all in this together. So lockdowns save lives has nothing to do with you as an individual who have any control. You're clapping like a seal at 7 p.m. You're a vapor and believe that vaping saves lives, but yet... You're clapping like a seal at 7 p.m. But these positions can't, are not the same. Because remember, this is the same group of people. This is public health. They're the same people. They're the same people at the CDC, the same people at FDA. They're the same people. They're the same governors, you know. The same governors that are banning vaping are the ones that are the most draconian when it comes to totalitarian policies. It's just, it's just black and white stuff, folks, right? So it's the exact same people that are trying to kill you by taking your vaping away are the exact same people who are trying to kill you by locking you into your house and destroying Western civilization. And now if you happen to be a vapor that believes that lockdown save lives, it is an incompatible position with vaping saves lives. It's incompatible because you're there advocating the government to take away the rights to control your own body from every single person that lives in your country. Okay, it's Mr. Producer just talking to me there for a second. I'm gonna get that note. Well, I, I can't just re-say a line, you have to, I have to backtrack. 
Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, so I lost my train of thought there. Um, all right. Oh, man, that's okay. That, when I'm at the height, don't do that when I'm at the height. It's like a crash. All right. Um, So vaping saves lives. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to change topics. Um, okay. No, I think that point is being made. Um, Okay. Yeah. I just don't see how you can hold the two positions. It's just not, it, it's not tenable. Lockdown save lives is, is clearly all about you saying that it's right for the government. It's proper. In fact, it's the, it saves lives. Remember, lockdowns save lives. So locking a, a 1 billion people up into their homes and destroying the Western system is um, a-okay. That is the that is the that is a massive use of force by public health, the government on individuals. That it does extreme amount of harm and increase the risk of death, disease, and destruction for every single individual out there. So if you're going, oh yes, yes, clap, clap, clap you know, for the, for the lockdowns, you're saying, yes, 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 completely, totally okay for the government to control your body. Your body. If you can't think of it as a liberty issue, think of it as your body. Because they will mandate vaccines. You'll have to deal with that. Maybe that's okay, fine. But is that okay? You know, uh, because we've got the iPhones, you know, maybe the, the tracking system will just be in the iPhone, but could be a chip. Would you, where would your, your line be drawn? Lockdown, save lives, vapors. All those vapors that like, you know, lockdown, save lives. Where's your line? Will your line be there when the government comes and wants to put a chip in you? Is, is that where your line will be? Because you know you can't fight for your vapes anymore. If you're saying lockdown, save lives, you are impotent as an advocate for vaping. You have no ability to argue for vaping. 
How could you? What's your argument? How could you then turn around and say, oh, yeah, but the government has to give us our rights to be able to decide if we want to have a vaping product over a tobacco product. Vaping saves lives. But you can't have that if your lockdown saves lives. You can't. It's impossible. Completely. You are ineffectual as an advocate for vaping if you believe that lockdowns save lives. I will be curious to hear the argument from you. What would, the, what would the argument be? Well, you'd have to be arguing around the lockdown. You'd have to be making, well, you know, it was a pretty bad pandemic. And oh, well, you know, we got, if you social distancing really works. And oh, well, all those bad people out there that aren't practicing social distancing, everyone just stay home, you know, it saves lives. But you still, they still haven't said how it saves lives. It doesn't save lives. If anything, it just keeps people from not getting the virus. And then they'll eventually get the virus when, they, when they're released into the world. So, I mean, to even even in and of itself, in its own logic, as its own little logic ball, if you want to call lockdown save lives logical at all, but even in its own logical ball, it just crushes under the weight of gravity. That gravity is called truth and common sense. The gravity is crushing that ball, that lockdown saves lives, because it can't even hold up on its own as a concept. There's no proof, and it doesn't matter. Lockdowns are supposed to keep you from getting it. That's it. You're still going to get it when you get released. Everyone's going to be exposed to this until herd immunity. So it's, and, and we know that 80% are asymptomatic. So the saves lives part, I mean, that's a huge jump that you got to take to say lockdowns save lives. There's just no proof yet. It's, it, it's a ball. And it's just crushing under the weight of gravity. And that gravity, that gravity is truth and common sense. Now, of course, some people might say, well, the healthcare system will be overwhelmed. And of course, well, you know, that's, that's a very fine progressive left talking point. Uh, it is uh, a talking point that has been used to well, pretty much uh, to put a billion people under lock and key. So <laughs> there's no proof of that. And it was based on false, false modeling. I mean, when Imperial College London came out in mid-March, I think around the 15th or 16th, and they came out predicting 2.2 million people will die in the United States of America and about a half a million will die in the UK, those numbers are what was used by Western leaders, including President Trump, Boris Johnson, uh, you know, Justin. Uh, and that's what they used to lock down uh, Western civilization. Was a 2.2 million uh, death number and a half a million in the UK. In two weeks from that, that model and those projections were shredded. Shredded. It was just modeling done by epidemiologists, the same type of epidemiologists that create all that great research for Stanton Glantz and the CDC and Health Canada. You know, teen vaping numbers, smoking numbers. I mean, whatever, guys, come on. You know, science is, science is not God. So we have scientists uh, from Imperial College London coming out mid-March with 2.2 
million projected deaths in the United States, half a million in the UK. But in two weeks, those, those forecasts were shredded. Within three weeks, three to four weeks, the, uh, the people in Washington state revised numbers and came out with 100 to 240,000 in the US. That is a massive difference in a matter of days in terms of a forecast. And then within days after that, the main, uh, the main research center in Washington state came out and revised it to 60,000. So it's a complete joke. The entire forecast is just, it's a complete joke. And, I, and I'm sure you vapors out there that are locked down save lives can understand that because you've been watching science be corrupted for years. It still is to this day. There'll be more coming. Can't wait. There'll be more crappy junk science on vaping coming out every single day. And you know that. But yet the ep epidemiologist, which is from the same faculty, the same science, um, are feeding disastrous numbers, cat catastrophe numbers into the system that allow public health to lock down 1 billion people and crash the Western system. You can't hold that position. If you believe that science is corrupted in vaping, if you believe that public health is corrupted in vaping, you have to believe that science is corrupted under COVID and you have to believe that public health is corrupted under COVID. There's no picking and choosing here. Okay. Maybe we need to get more ventilators. Oh my God, we need 30,000 ventilators is what Governor Cuomo said in New York. Within days, they don't need the ventilators and they're shipping them out to other states. So clearly the extra beds not needed. I mean, in Vancouver, they had convention centers set up and stuff like that, and an extra hospital triage thing. I mean, this is just pretend. This is pretend day for public health. And you know, you know what? Here's one of the problems. Here's a problem that's going to come from the progressive hysteria, the mind-blowing hysteria that they've created over coronavirus is that there is going to be a good chunk of middle kind of middle area public healthers that are going to go, eh, man, this, we really, really, really screwed up Western civilization here. But they are going to be so unable to voice that, the, the horror of what they have done to the world, the horror of what public health officials who made this decision to lock down and then continue the terror of coronavirus after it's been proven that we got a handle on it. The terror that's going to go on in those individual minds is going to be so bad that they could actually be worse totalitarians. That's kind of the thing, the way this works. The insidiousness of totalitarian action is that... Um, the dissonance, the hate, self-hate, uh, the guilt that is created in the public health professional's mind is going to make them double down on totalitarian action.
that's the part of the sickness of totalitarianism. Guilt's got that really brutal thing. Okay, I think I... There's this thing about the harm thing that I want to make sure that this is where we're how why we're working this as you know taped thing here. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll come back to it when we get to it, but it it's something around the harm thing. It it's like I mean, literally, vaping saves lives it, it is all about government don't harm me. Right? Don't harm me. You're harming me by selling me cigarettes that are legal, that are killing me, You're, but not letting me switch over to vaping and, and, and be, you know, a valid citizen uh, and purchaser and a consumer. Um, so government, you are hurting me. And that's vaping saves lives. And in lockdowns save lives, you don't have that. Government is doing the hurting. Now, yeah, you could say well, they're doing the protecting. Well, they're not. That is hurting people. It's forcing them. It's, it's stealing their ability to make the decisions about where they can move their body to, where their body can be, and what they can put in their body. If you need to find ways in which to describe this stuff that doesn't track into conservative, right-wing, you know, traditional, classical, liberal language, start thinking about it that way. Start thinking about it. My right to move my body. My right to decide where my body goes to. My right to decide where my body shall stand still. My right to decide what other bodies I want to be near to and how near to those other bodies are negotiation between me and the other body, not the government. And I should have the only right to decide what goes into my body. All of those things are destroyed under lockdowns and our future new world of the new normal. That will be all decided by public health professionals to some degree or another, enforced by the state and the police. So start thinking about it from your body point of view that'll help you get around discussing things based on the liberty point of view. I know for so many of our viewers, it is so tough to accept the liberty argument. And I, I get that. And I mean, I want to make sure that I'm very clear here because we're hard on progressives, clearly. And there's progressives, we've got progressive viewers, I think a few left. <laughs> but, you know, the vapors in which, that are on that side, my goal with all of this stuff, and I swear to God, with you is I think the future is with you. If you're a vapor and you're a progressive, the future's with you. If, if we can do anything at RegWatch and what our content is to help you know, push a, a few people along in some ways, it's not to turn you into a conservative. It's not to turn you into a right-winger. It's to find a way to give you tools to help fight against this kind of totalitarian action. That is the COVID response. You will never get control of your vape if, the, if under a world of COVID, I mean, these people, they'll, they'll, that's it. I mean, it's the same people. 
under the same powers of the Public Health Act in each state, in each province. The same legislation and powers that grant the governors the right to stop selling seeds in Michigan and to lock you in your home is the exact same legislation the governors used in September of last year to roll out their vape bans. And in some of the places, they got taken to court and they had to pull back. And other ones, they put their, they dipped their toe in the totalitarian waters and got a sense of what they would be able to get away with. The coincidence here should not be overlooked of the entire vaping-related lung illness scandal, hoax, lie, deception. Prior to that, 12 months of epidemic of teen vaping poses a clear and present danger. The FDA will not tolerate another generation of youth addicted to nicotine. Boom, September, you got coming right out of Labor Day, Gretchen Whitmer, the Stasi East German uh, secret police that runs Michigan. The first day back from summer after Labor Day, she had our, her, the whole executive order written. It was ready to go. She dropped the executive order in the vape ban. So they'd been working on that for weeks. But the vaping-related lung illness didn't even break national news until August 23rd. So between August 23rd and what was that, September 5th? So 7, 12 days. I mean, that's not a lot of time. So I guess, I guess right at the very end of summer, she had her entire staff working, uh, going through the Public Health Act, looking for what uh, uh, police powers uh, th the governor had, and then rolling them out against vaping. Language and all. And then all of the other ones did it the same, then filed those, tried that same totalitarian power grab in September. There just can't be a coincidence here that all of these governors had this great opportunity six months before COVID to exercise totalitarian power with the exact same legislation they have used to crash the Western system. That is a coincidence that I just can't accept. So, so you need tools. Tools, 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 tools. Tools are what I'm hoping. So you know, you know this, I mean, in the end, the future for vaping, and I believe, quite literally, for getting us out of this morass and for Western civilization here, could lie with vapors, especially progressive, I'm gonna have to say that again. I had a hard time getting it out. I actually believe it, guys. I do believe it. So, but don't take the hard, that was hard to get out. So don't take that as, as an indication that I might not actually believe what I'm saying there. I do. I do believe it. So let me try to get it out. Okay. So tools, 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 tools. Tools, 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 tools. I mean it when I say this, that look, progressives that are vapors, I think that they really hold a big key for helping not only uh, get us out of this morass around vaping, but also around the COVID thing. Because I have to tell you, I think that 10 million vapors 
you know, across, say, Canada, the U.S. and um, the U.K., you know, would make a difference in the debate. Because if, if you aren't locked, pardon the pun, in, into lockdown save lives, if you saw that that's incompatible with vaping saves lives, and if we can help in any way provide some tools to you, and i.e. that's that body tool that I just described, if we're able to help work together and do that, you're perfectly commu- uh, positioned to communicate some healthy skeptic- skepticism that needs to be done uh, within your guys' side of the fence. Because I, I don't really see how conservatives and those on the right um, are going to be able to really crack through a large number of people. And so there's crossover on, with the vapors that are progressive. Because I know that you guys know that, that there's a difference. I know that you know that lockdowns don't save lives like vaping saves lives. I mean, if you can argue that lockdowns save lives as strong, if you can make the argument that lockdowns save lives as strong as you can make the argument that vaping saves lives, then bring it on. Then bring that argument on. Bring that argument on. Bring out down that argument. Make the stronger argument for lockdown save lives. Why that's a more powerful argument than vaping saves lives. But you can't say, oh, they're both true. You can't do that. Think the body. This is the tools. It's your right to decide. And I already listed listed. So we've got that on tape. Okay, good. Okay, I think we, we nailed that. Okay, so let's do this one. Let's talk about Nietzsche. Ah, the will to power. That on day three of the rest of your life on COVID crazies. The victory of a moral ideal is achieved by the same immoral means as every victory. Force, lies, slander, injustice. The path to power. Introduce new virtue under the name of an old one. Excite interest in it. Happiness is the consequence. Exploit advantages and accidents for its glorification. Turn its followers into fanatics by means of sacrifice and separation. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So, oh, I don't have it. The path to power. Sorry, folks. Oh, right. So give me a second. And 
it's a little off, but at least that'll work. All right, the victory of a moral ideal is achieved by the same immoral means as every victory, force, lies, slander, injustice. So we're talking about virtue here, um, everyone. And this is, this is how virtue becomes power, which is really what we're talking about here. We've discussed this over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it, the virtue, virtue is the primary motivation behind everything that's been progressive left for the history of time before that was even called progressive left. So what does a desire do with itself to become a virtue? Rebaptism, systematic denial of its objectives, practice in misunderstanding, alliance, with existing and recognized virtues, ostentatious hostility against their opponents. Where possible, it will purchase the protection of sanctifying. Oh, wait a minute. Damn. Damn it. There. 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 Okay. All right, so I'm gonna to have to step that back. Hold on. Okay. So, all right, let me just quickly do this again. The path to power. Introduce new virtue under the name of an old one. Excite interest in it. Happiness is the consequence. Exploit advantages and accidents for its glorification. Turn its followers into fanatics by means of sacrifice and separation. And that's wonderful too. It, so when you're talking about bringing a virtue to power, these are the things in which must be done. And you do have to have a, an idea of how to create, sorry, you do need to have an idea of how to create idea, how to give birth to idea, to give birth to morality, to give birth to virtue. And human beings, I mean, we're virtue makers. That's what we do. We're virtue makers. And so to say that it's, um, it sounds like it's contrived, it's not. It is actually a part of who we are. There's an evolutionary need for virtue, which is what makes it so powerful and what makes it so open to corrupt, corrupt to corruptibility. For one of the things with virtue is that you gain followers because otherwise it's not really a virtue unless people believe in it and follow it and they become fanatics. And then of course they must sacrifice and then, and with separation. What does a desire do with itself to become a virtue? I mean, this is a wonderful question. You gotta just love Nietzsche. I mean, you really do. I mean, you gotta just love Nietzsche. You really do. Uh, th there's there's issues. I do not recommend reading Nietzsche unless you are fully uh, down the way in a very solid understanding of facts and truth and even just, you're just solid. You need to be solid to read Nietzsche. There's a lot in Nietzsche that uh, those on the left uh, really like. There's lots that um, the extreme right, that is the fascistic right, likes about it. 
Um, and but the, and but the thing is though is that the fact is is that Nietzsche just skewers everyone. So anyhow, so what does a desire do with itself to become a virtue? Ooh. Why does a desire, why is it a desire to become a virtue? Why isn't it something else? Well, let's think, what else? I mean, um, could you have a, I don't, I, you know, if something, are, I guess, is already a good, um, it, you could frame it already as a virtue, so desire wouldn't apply, but then it's already a good. So it, we're talking about the process of making something that is not a virtue into a virtue. So what is that thing that is pre-virtue? It's desire. It's desire. And because virtue's other side is vice, virtue and vice, it's the vice turned into a virtue. That's what we're talking about here. So it's desire. And that, and that need and that want from the left primarily because their reaction to, you know, 2,000 years of Christianity. So they're the true reactionaries is the left. So the left are reactionaries. They're reacting against Christian Western society. Uh, there's a moral structure that was set up there, right or wrong, there was. And then so the left's pushing against that. And so through all of that, there's all these vices and virtues, and they're trying to turn uh, vices into virtues. And, and a vice is a, is a desire. Not always good or bad. I mean, a vice doesn't need to always be bad, but it's a desire. Turning a desire into a virtue. That's what you'd want to do if you're from the left. And that's what's been going on since the French Revolution in 1789, the revolution. So a desire into a virtue. What does a desire do with itself to become a virtue? Well, the desire must be rebaptized. There must be a systematic denial of its objectives. So the understanding that this desire is turning into a virtue, you can't let the organism, the social organism, you know, the, the, you can't let that be seen, right? It can't be seen. It can't be a transparent process in which that people see that, that the, 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 the sausage grinding that's made from as a, as a vice is turned into a virtue as a desire is turned into a virtue. So your rebaptism, so it's a rechristening of, of the said desire as a virtue. And then there's a systematic denial of its objectives to hide what its objective is. And on this line here, extremely important is the practice in self-misunderstanding. The practice in self-misunderstanding. This is critical because the desire as it's becoming into a virtue, as it's becoming into this thing, can't call attention to the process is basically what, what they mean by the don't let it see the objectives. So the process in which this thing gets turned into a virtue has to be obscured. And to obscure that, you do that with layers of misunderstanding. So the actual new virtue itself doesn't even understand that what it was just a moment ago and where it's going. So the people that are being conditioned as they're exposed to this developing new virtue, 
are being layered and layered and layered in of misunderstanding. It's a practice of misunderstanding. So if you've ever wondered why it seems that the left and the progressive left always seems to be irrational, hypocritical, always taking, you know, you know, different sides of this, of uh, 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 multiple different conflicting things that they're doing, because that's all a part of the practice of misunderstanding. Because progressivism is a virtue. It is a meta virtue. So this process is going on right now with the entire body penelope of ideas and structures and things and ideals that make up the entire progressive ideology. And so as an ideology, it's, not call, it's doing everything it can to not call attention to itself as it's making itself into a virtue. It is practiced in misunderstanding itself. Ask anybody what a liberal is, and then you start punching yourself in the head, right? Ask, ask anything, actually, ask what a fascist is. What most people think is a fascist is completely wrong. Progressive left is fascism. Progressives are fascists. So this layers and layers and layers of practiced misunderstanding. Nietzsche. This is the process in which a desire becomes a virtue. And progressivism is a desire, there's no doubt. There's a desire for heaven on earth. Desire to socially engineer a better man. Uh, desire to, be, to fulfill uh, nature's role of being good, always. There's plenty of desire. Progressivism is a desire. It's all about the future. Progressivism is about the future, certainly not about the present. So if it's about the future, it's a desire. So we're talking about here when the desire looks to become a virtue. So practice in self-misunderstanding. God, love, Nietzsche. That's all I can say. Alliance with existing and recognized virtues. Oh, and of course you've got that. So progressivism is allied with, you know, other virtues right, which are good, you know, I'm not going to break this down too much, but obviously there's a bunch of virtues that are aligned with progressivism that didn't, that existed before progressivism. Ostentatious hostility against their opponents. Now, I don't think I really need to hammer that home. Ostentatious hostility against their opponents. That's what happens with those inside the ideology as it's striving to uh, change from a desire to a virtue. And then finishing up here, where possible, it purchases the protection of sanctifying... Oh, I didn't finish that last line. It intoxicates, it inspires... It becomes unconscious. That is fantastic. That's the description of ideology becoming the dominant hegemic ideology of the day. So the people that are inside that ideology don't even know that they're believing in something. And we absolutely most certainly live under 
the dominant hegemonic ideology of the day that is progressive leftism. They own everything. Otherwise, this COVID response couldn't have happened. They absolutely own all the levers of power, with the small exception of maybe the White House. But clearly, that wasn't enough to stave off this reaction. So, I mean, simply put, I mean, the people that live inside the progressive ideology, those that believe lockdowns save lives and that we're all in this together, you don't know you're believing in something. You believe that you have no belief. You just believe what you believe is right. And the other side is evil. That's clear. That's just clear. Fox News, evil. You know, Breitbart, evil. All the people that are conservative and right-wing, evil. Those who don't agree with lockdown save lives, evil, evil, evil. And you sit there thinking, well, you're just right. You don't even know you believe something. You do. You believe in something. You are under the spell of a dominant hegemonic ideology. 25 years ago, 30, for sure, a really serious argument could be made about that not being the case. There still being, you know, a bit more of another kind of ideology, you know, running things. But you're in complete control right now. And the disaster is that because you don't know you believe in something, you aren't able to help stop this. And it'll just keep spinning out of control. Because you won. You have all the power. Seriously, do you need Western civilization to scream for mercy? Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for an absolute wailing uh, of, from people and, and screaming uncle and mercy in order to have some semblance of freedom back? Or are you even prepared to grant that? Or has not enough damage and destruction been done? Only you that believes that lockdown save lives can answer that question because you're the ones that are in power. And you don't even know you've won. That's the worst part. Because, you know, if you knew that you were foot soldiers in an ideological battle with every woke thing you say, any, you know, every time you bully somebody online for their speech and so forth, if you only knew, and you probably no, to some extent, but if you only really knew just how much you've won, maybe you'd give us an opportunity to beg for mercy before hundreds of millions of people die because of what you're doing. Okay. Mr. Producer? Yeah, what's the worst thing that's happened? What's the, what's the un... Oh, did you? Oh, I see. Right. Well, in terms of the COVID lockdown, yeah, I, you know, I think that... I don't know if... Um, you know, we can draw uh, th that 
total parallel. I think you have to draw it as progressivism is the desire, right? That des that large meta desire to do good, right? And to and to uh, position yourselves against the enemy, which is the conservative right. Remember, the progressive is all about change. So this awakening, this new beginning, this new normal that's coming, this is a progressive desire. They've been looking and searching and waiting and, and planning and, and for forever to have the, the ability, the excuse to collapse the Western system and to rebuild it based on progressive ideals. And those ideals are exactly what's driving this new normal, the awakening, the new beginning, right? The safe space planet, the bubble around each of us, so much bubble of safety zone bubble that we'll be wearing hazmat suits to have sex. If that doesn't sound like a fascist, Victorian, leftist, progressive, I don't know what does, right? So the, the, under the COVID lockdown, well, it's progressivism, it's that desire to do good, and it's the desire to socially engineer a new man, right? And that's just like, again, remember from the National Post and what, what they had said and that exact language that the reporter used. The question now is, how are we going to reinvent ourselves as a human species? That's Sharon Kirke from the Washington Post or National Post. I mean, so there, I mean, there you go. That's the desire is to reinvent ourselves as a human species. And that desire to do that, um, they're turning into a virtue. All of it has to be, of course, because a lot of people are going to die in this process of reinventing ourselves as a human species. A lot of people are going to die. They're already dying. And we're not talking about the small number of COVIDs. This is insane, folks. Just think about it <laughs> a little bit. So the goal is to reinvent the human species. That's the desire. Okay? That's good? All right, good. So, all right. So let's just see what else we can get to. Um, hey, thanks, Ian. And I'm hoping everybody... Can everybody hear, because we've got about 30 seconds here, just delay. So let me ask you guys, Are because uh, thank you, this is a tape thing, right? So obviously we're going to do a little bit more, but it's not a linear show. Are you hearing good pieces in here is the question I've got for you. Just a yes or no, something like that. I mean, are, are you catching some pieces? And remember, once the producing happens, or great producing uh, that we have, that's going to condense these into uh, into something that makes sense. And I'm just going to say, oops. I think we got some short pieces in here, don't we, Mr. Producer? What do you think? Oh, okay, good. Okay, so let me just see here. Uh, yeah, I think maybe we're going to probably be pretty close to do, do, stomping it here. 
Okay. Okay. Ah, crap! I can see that my uh, my footage on uh, my footage going to uh, going to stream is a bit green. <gasps> That's sucks. Oh. Huh. All right. Frickin' tech. All right. So, Mr. Producer, I think um, I think I'm. I think I'm not going to close those because I don't, I think we're okay. Uh, be, yeah, I know. Okay. I said, I got your CM from the woke. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to do it from the woke side. I'll be able to talk about woke, but let me jump in. To, let me jump in. Okay. Okay, guys. So we're going to, we're going to, um, we're going to finish up so I can let everybody go. Cause I think we got some piece, some stuff in here that is good. I want to, I'm going to want to talk about um, what's coming next. I've already been doing that, but something specific. Coming down in three, two, one. People ask me, what's going to happen? What's coming next? And, you know, are things going to get better when it comes to uh, the discourse out there and the battle between left and right over woke and transgendered and all that kind of stuff? And, uh, you know, gender and race. And, um, you know, David Rubin, as I was saying on uh, Ben Shapiro's show last week, was making an argument that we're heading into a bit of a utopia where people are going to be um, so preoccupied with dealing with all of the, you know, personal tragedies and, and challenges around the catastrophe that is the coronavirus hysteria, the reaction, that so many people are going to be so, you know, consumed by that, that they're just going to look at the woke stuff and just go, oh, we don't have time for that anymore. And, you know, Douglas Murray actually made that argument to some extent that that could be a, a positive reaction. Dave Rubin, though really had a progressive attitude with that. And I have to tell you that that is absolutely not going to be the case. You don't know anything about the progressive left and how they fight if you believe that they're going to back down now after a complete total totalitarian takeover. They're going to stagger and dole out freedom based on their schedule. And even when you have your freedom, how can you have freedom again when you know it could just be yanked away from an unelected public health person who is the same person who's been taking your vapes away too, by the way. So how is it that we can expect them to back down from the fight? They have yet to take their prize. Their prize is Trump. Their prize is the president. So there ain't going to be any taking the boot off of the neck until the presidential election is over. And so things are going to be pretty interesting here because the woke stuff is going to be just as strong, if not more. And the lockdowns are going to present a very interesting issue. Everybody knows that lockdowns save lives. Maybe they didn't this time, but they will in the second wave. 
when the second and third wave comes and we all have to lock down again. <laughs> so when the second and third wave third waves come, you know, of course, you know, lockdowns save lives. The Democrats are absolutely already running on that Trump completely, totally screwed up uh, the response, the federal response, and people died. Absolutely. That's it. I mean, of course, he's going to be painted as the devil with that. And so what the Democrats are going to have to do, and they're already doing, is they're running on pro-lockdown. So as this second wave comes in October, November, next year, or sorry, this year, right before the presidential election, what's going to be the message from the Democrats? They're going to have to run on the virtue of a lockdown. More lockdowns. That is divisive. That is brutal. But might be present an opportunity because that's a hard argument to make. And that's why it's, it's going to be the most vicious battle ever in the next five months. And that's why the woke stuff will be turned on so hard because their argument for lockdowns is not only not strong, right? But it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to people's individual liberty. So at some point, you know, pe you know, people are going to have a cognitive dissonance about that argument. So if you can throw the race shit at them, you can throw the gender stuff at them, you could throw the transgender stuff at them, you know, the whole kit and caboodle, the ball of wax, then you mix that in and then hopefully you can, you know, keep them so upset and so twisted that they won't have time to deal with the dissonance that's around lockdowns save lives. So the presidential election is going to be a referendum on lockdowns. How could it not? That has to be the campaign. And you would hope then that Trump and anybody else, you don't need to be right wing, you don't need to be conservative or whatever. Let's just be counter-revolutionary for one presidential election cycle, please. And just see it as going, you know what? I mean, I may agree with tons of stuff that the progressives like. And, and, and there's a ton of good things about it. But I, I hold the line on another lockdown. I hold the line on the chip in my arm. I hold the line on totalitarian police state. And I can't decide where to move my body, what to do with my body, what to put in my body, who my body can hang around with. All of that stuff I want to do with my body, that is like a natural right, right? No, I'm not talking conservative. I'm not talking right. I'm talking about you have a body. Don't you have a right to decide what to do with it? Think about that. Well, that's what the referendum is on. The presidential election is going to be a referendum on lockdowns. And it's going to be ugly. Now, here's why. There's going to be a certain amount of, pop, of, the, of the herd, of the population that is locked down, save lives, that have their eyes a little bit opened in the last 10 days. And will as we move forward, because the catastrophe of this lockdown, of this shutdown, is still unknown. And the vision that will happen in town after town with 25, 30% 
50% of businesses closed and bankrupt in the next 12 months. Quicker, maybe, maybe more. The only people that are whole in this whole process are people paid by the government and deemed as an essential service, thus created a new class of people. I mean, they're whole. They're whole. You know what? If you're a government worker and are deemed essential service, and if you're paid by the government, you should not be allowed to vote this election. That's what I think. I think you shouldn't be allowed to vote. Your vote is compromised. Your vote is compromised. Let everybody else that has to deal with the ramifications of your decisions to be the ones that get to vote. If you work for the government, you're deemed an essential service, your vote is compromised. But there's still going to be, so we know this, there are going to be members of the herd that get out in the wild, they get let out in the wild, and they come out with a bit of a dissonance going. They, they actually kind of see that this has gone too far, and they actually know and are going to see the destruction in their communities that's a cause of this virus the thing that the left doesn't want you to see or believe in. So what's gonna happen is this. Woke is gonna be used as what it's always been done, as a battering ram to smash the people in the herd, the progressives, the progressive lefters that have had a little bit of an awakening, that have said maybe this is a little bit too much and they're gonna get let out into the, running out into the wild over the next couple of months, coming up to the election and woke is gonna be used to smash them to get them back into the fold and make it so that you can't take a step out into the world, the other, the other part of the world, which is, you know, populated by deplorables and evil people and Trump. So, and woke will be used to do that because they can't afford to let people be a free thinking. They can't afford their own people in the herd to be able to come to a conclusion on their own about the devastation of the aftermath of the coronavirus. They need to stop people from making their own conclusions. And they need to insert there through force their own people, their own progressive people. They're going to have to smash them to make sure that they don't dare step out of line and think that lockdowns may have be too much. Like maybe a second one isn't a good idea. That is how totalitarians do it. That's how the left does it. Think about that. You know, and they've already spent years conditioning you to not believe your own eyes. How? Well, for one, you know, I want to get in the merits of the debate. But let's just say that the transgendered issue is one that by law, by law, you have to say certain pronouns and do certain things. So it compels you to think a certain way by making no, no judgment on, on whether or not that's a good or bad thing. I'm just making a point about the reality of it. It's a, it, in Canada, it's law. 
in the U.S., of course, you know, so much stuff is written into Title IX and, you know, into human resources code at, you know, corporations and everything else. So what we're talking about. Yep. Okay, Mr. Producer, you're gonna have to if you're gonna get me right in the middle like that, you gotta text me first because because I you know, um, um sorry, what examples? Oh, okay. Yeah, no. I, I'm trying to not actually talk about transgender too much here. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a very delicate issue. Um, so my whole goal with transgendered here is not to talk about its value uh, or or whether or not. I'm talking about the mechanics of it. The mechanics of it is that it requires a person to to change the way they think about the um, concreteness of human biology. So it is saying that human biology is not binary and it is fluid. And that is reality. And by law, by government force, you must think that. Again, I'm, I'm making no judgment on this issue at all. I'm talking about the mechanics of it as a process. Now, for those people who disagree with that, who have a belief that, you know, 200,000 years of human biology says something and the overall billions of years of, of, of history throughout matter having positive and negative, right? Now, sure, there's gray areas, but I mean, there is a binary that exists with inside almost every single thing uh, that's about our reality. Um, that exists. So if you happen to believe that, you're going to have a problem being forced into thinking that. And keep in mind, there's a lot of people on the progressive left that are not 100% bought into that way of thinking, but have been forced to have to think that way because that's what their ideology has said they have to do to, at the point of losing jobs, being ostracized, terrorized, you know, forget it. You know, I mean, doctors are, you know, I mean, they're not, they, doctors, you know, ha are fully in the bag on it. And I, again, I'm not saying either way. Um, I'm talking about it as a process and, and as a mechanism. And so it clearly has forced human beings to deny in their minds that believe that, that there's such thing as traditional biology. So there's a conditioning that the left has been doing for many years to get people to deny what they're seeing. And so when these herds go out that have woken up a little bit and see the devastation, the, the progressive left is going to have to turn up the hysteria, turn up the fear that they manufacture in order to get people to not see, don't believe your lying eyes. Don't believe your lying eyes. That's why, it's getting, that's why it's likely to get really bad. 
And so you should be thinking about this kind of thing when you're, when you're looking at the world around you, because think of the media, for instance, media is fit, is filtered. The narrative in our media is filtered to fit a vision. It's a very important point. What we see from CNN and MSNBC and so forth that are clearly pro-lockdown, pro-coronavirus, pro-engineering, you know, a new human species, right? There is a vision. And everything that goes through that is filtered to fit the vision. And so the more that people out there can understand that there is a vision and that, and to the extent that it's being filtered to fit it, right, you may be able to see it. And now I'm hoping you see it. And then again, once you've, you you could be seeing it, but then again, they're going to crush you, man. We need to, we, they're going to come at you. They're going to use woke at you hard. Oh boy. Okay. So I think we got that. Mr. Producer, thank you. I, uh, I, that, was a, that was good. I just had to get my train of my thought back there. So was that okay? Yep, no problem. Thank you. Everybody, big hand. Thank you, hands for Mr. Producer. Hands for Producer. No, no not, not healthcare hands. Not healthcare hands. I don't know. This hands? I don't know. Let me just say this. Why are we clapping for people who are just doing their job? They don't do that in the U.S. The heartless, heartless Americans that aren't clapping at 7 p.m. for their healthcare workers. <gasps> that is brutal. Look, I tell you this right now. Let me tell you this. This is ex the exact moment I knew that this was a whole disaster. The moment that I knew that this was a complete disaster is this moment. You know it's a complete disaster when video of Italian police forces pull up and start playing the ukulele. I don't know if I have it right now, but I do have that. That is brutal. I knew this was a total fucking disaster. The moment, a progressive disaster, the moment they came playing, uh, the police came playing and people were clapping. Let me see if I got it. Right. Right. It's probably easier for me to find on YouTube now than it is for me to do this. Desktop, iMac, Dropbox. Yeah, that's new. Dropbox, watch folder, COVID. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, I do have it. So this is, um,
Okay, fuck. All right, so this is brutal. So we'll be wrapping up here, folks, here as we just finish this off. So let me just. Okay. So this is exactly when I knew that it was a progressive disaster. So if you right now are mad at me, like if your blood is boiling because I'm making fun of this, you are part of the problem. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. Uh, and it was like, oh, oh, this was off Twitter. I mean, it was nuts. You know, you saw this. You saw this. This was everywhere. Propaganda. I'll tell you that right now. And, and if it's a spontaneous thing, then really we need police uh, forces in the Western world to do better. That's all I can say. Because that was absolutely disgusting. It was crap. So the clapping uh, is, um, is, 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 is over, you know? You don't need to be the last communist clapping because Stalin isn't in power and you're likely not to get killed. So stop clapping. But remember that your clapping like that has been done for decades and decades and decades and people who were the last one or the first to stop clapping would be killed. That's how they do it. They might still do that in China. Maybe. <gasps> All right. So I had to play that. Now, it just makes me think here. Do I have one more thing to just play? I mean, that's just insane. Oh, okay. All right. So. Just because I want to get this done. I don't know, Mr. Producer, if we're going to be able to use this. This could be deemed quite quite bad 
So let's see here. All right. Okay, so for those of you who live in Canada and live in British Columbia, you're going to be familiar with Dr. I think it's Dr. We'll know in a second. The doctor? Yes. Maybe. Here's Bonnie Henry, physician. She's a Canadian physician who is the provincial health officer for British Columbia and clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia. She's a specialist in public health and preventative medicine. She is currently right now running the province of British Columbia. Uh, now, I mean, she has a progressive left uh, government in charge, so it's more like a collaboration than it is she running it. Because, of course, you know, the NDP and the Green Party are leftist. So, simple as that. So, Bonnie, she's been doing, you know, her everyday stuff from the podium and providing zero hope. In fact, it was just a couple weeks ago that uh, it was reported uh, that... Um, Just a couple of weeks ago, it was reported that uh, Bonnie Henry had said that perhaps by some point this summer, adults, family members, will be able to get together for an ice cream. That's what you can hope to look for in British Columbia. So this is Bonnie Henry. She's been regaled as, I don't know, as being Bonnie Henry, I guess. Here's how we're going to know. This was written So this was written uh, obviously before I think what is it March 26th is that when it was? I can't see the date here. Okay. So this was So this was published 1 month ago by local Vancouver artists Phil Dwyer and others on SoundCloud. And so we're looking at early April one month ago, so I guess it must actually be on April 3rd. So think about April 3rd and how early that was. We're talking weeks. We're talking March 16th, April 3rd. Seven days. No, sorry, 16th, 20, whatever. So we're, so we're looking at April 3rd. So we're looking at March 16th to April 3rd. Short, compressed time, a couple weeks. And during that time, we have, uh, we have in the progressive organism a desire, right, to create virtue of the lockdown and to sanctify the public health messaging and the messenger that's delivering it, that is delivering the totalitarianism, that's delivering, delivering the safety. And so this is called The Ballad of Bonnie Henry. And this is progressive fascist music in the truest sense. True folk or volk. She comes on the radio just around with the public health news for the folks of BC 
And to talk of a crisis of a scope yet unseen With an ungainly moniker, COVID-19 From the start at the top of her list of demands Was we lather with soap and please wash off our hands And as things took a turn for the worst day by day That we keep friends and neighbors a good six feet away She's had lots of help in her search for a fix Not the least of whom is Mr. Adrian Dix In the eyes of the public though she's been the one That has been with us since this whole thing has begun That is the sound of progressive fascism. Okay, guys. So that is it. Um, We have got lots of stuff. I'll tell you right now, my producer is going to hate me because there's too much stuff. And uh, just having a quick look. Horns blown. Nurses coming out. Hey, folks on Facebook, thanks for joining. And then same for you folks on YouTube. And absolutely don't stay safe. Do not. If somebody has COVID, lick their face. Now, I mean, of course, you know, with all of the warnings aside, right? But yeah, do not stay safe. Don't stay stay safe. Stay hard. Stay frosty. Stay hard, stay frosty. All right, one sec. Okay, guys, that is it. Uh, I'm just seeing here if there's any question or two. So, so far, only three cases in the town that I live in. Uh, Tim Shane, thanks. Mr. Producer, anything before I go? Before we go? We're good? All right, folks. Well, that is it for this edition of RegWatch. For those of you who participated in our Facebook fundraiser, thank you so much. Gosh only knows we really need the help. And, you know, we get our funding 
a lot from you guys and of course from industry, but everyone has just been hit like hard. So it really made a huge difference for those of you that were able to help out. For those of you um, who didn't get a chance, you can still go to support.regulatorwatch.com, support.regulatorwatch.com, and you can contribute one time or monthly. We love the American dollars, guys. U.S. dollars makes a huge difference for us. Five, ten, fifteen dollars a month. Wow, that would make a big difference for us because obviously there's uh, an exchange rate, and our expenses mostly, except for our producers, um, are here in Canada. So it means a great deal. Uh, but Canadian dollars, we love those too. Yay. Uh, and then finally, uh, just to let everyone know, we've got a bunch of great content coming out this week. All live shows. We have Dina Bakari from uh, Wild, White Horse Vapor coming on tomorrow. And we're going to be talking about what new normal. And that is really interesting. I want everyone kind of thinking about it. Like what new normal for vaping? It's isn't it the same old, same old. So that's what we're going to be talking about and a bunch of, you know, the politics and get his ideas on, on COVID and stuff like that as we kind of talk to more people in the industry. And for supporters, you know, he's been running this great program where people are able to donate to RegWatch with each purchase. So that's fantastic. So we'll get an update on that. We have Professor John Britton coming on Tuesday. And check, you know, Facebook and YouTube for the times for all of this. Professor Britton, he was the chair of the Tobacco Advisory Committee at the Royal College of Physicians uh, in the UK. He's still a member of that uh, committee. He's the top dog. He's the guy. They were releasing uh, the Nicotine Without Smoke report in 2016. This is the report that nailed uh, vaping as a safer tool, uh, you know, than smoking, as safer than, than smoking. So you don't want to miss that. This, this is the top. This is, this is like in the top guy at Public Health England. So John Britton will be here on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, we have conservative talk show host Vicki McKenna from uh, the great state of Wisconsin. And uh, she is an uh, avid vapor, a uh, great advocate. Uh, she appeared uh, at the House Oversight Committee uh, meeting in hearing in uh, September I believe it was, um, in Washington and advocating for vapes. Got into it with uh, Rashida Tlaib quite a bit. So we'll have that and she'll be on talking about all the great stuff here and you know reacting to some of the things that I've laid out today too as well. So that's Vicki McKenna, a conservative radio talk show host. Uh, that'll be on Thursday. So that is it, my friends. I hope you guys all have a great rest of your weekend for what's left. And I'm just going to get to a... Only because I refuse to not have the closing happen when I press closing. That's it, everybody.